Welcome everyone. Um, my name is Carly Baldwin and it's just lovely to see each of you today. There are some newcomers, there are some visitors, so we're so glad you're here with us. What a great place to be this summer. And welcome back to a lot of members who've been away. So glad to see familiar faces. Uh, I'm going to continue on with the series on the rule of life. And today, it's using scripture to interpret our lives. I like to prioritize scripture to shape our prayers and our lives. And I'll be unpacking some themes of what it means to be blessed as Jesus sees it. And what it means to face battles as Jesus sees it and does. Blessings and battles. In this sermon, we'll factor in some time to notice on your own what blessings and battles are going on in your own lives, big or small. I'll first start with unpacking John 17, 1 to 11, and then after that, I'll set apart time for journaling or praying about your blessings. There was a sheet of paper at the back, and if you don't have that sheet of paper, I believe Gareth or one of my kids can pass it out to you. Then I will speak on another passage, same chapter, verses 14 to 18, and share some thoughts on the battles of life. Following that, there'll be a second reflection time for noticing our battles or things requiring us to resist. Using the language that Pastor John has set out for spiritual practice, we will speak of blessings as things that we can embrace. And speaking of battles in our lives, we will use the word reject, intentionally rejecting. So embracing and rejecting. Let me go into John 17. And some people have called this the most glory-filled chapter in the Bible. We get a glimpse of the tender love of the son for his father and the deepest concerns that he has before he leaves this world and leaves his disciples. It's unique in that it's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. Three, in case you're interested, 632 words. And it's a prayer that only Jesus can pray because he's about to do the one thing that nobody else can do. So it's a deeply intimate and private prayer to the Father. And though, again, only he can pray this, we can gain some important principles about prayer. And I love it because it gives us insight into Jesus' own heart and character. So on the slide, we'll have chapter 17. And in verse 1, it says, After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Meaning, I'm standing at the brink and looking down at the precipice of death. The hour of my horror and death has finally arrived. And I want to check in with you, Father. I need to be in step with you, with your plan and your purpose in this moment. I cannot stray from you. His eyes are wide open. He's looking up into his father's face. And what does he ask? What is his request? Jesus says, glorify your son so he can give glory back to you, Father. 
verse 1. That's his prayer for himself. He's asking for glory so that his father gets the glory back. So it's okay to pray for ourselves. Jesus did. Now, his end goal is to bring glory to the Father. And the way or the means to do that is to glorify himself. Ironically, Jesus' greatest glory is his greatest sacrifice. No greater love has he than to lay down his own life for his friends, John 15. He put his life on the line for his friends. I mean, that is just radiantly beautiful. It's powerfully strong. But what a hard job it is to stick to and to accomplish this. And so prayer is what kept Jesus going. To face the imminent shame, the abandonment, to be hated on and tortured on the cross, he needed prayer and connection to his Father. Prayer is intimacy and support from God. So you can see how relational, reciprocal, and rich his relationship with his father is. His love for his father means that his desire is to make the father known and to bring attention to the father's glory. And the question for us is, how do we all live meaningful lives that carry the eternal weight of glory? Prayer enables us to stay in contact with God's plan for us, to check in with him about his purpose for us. And as we do that, we will face blessings and battles, just as Jesus did, having the blessing of his Father and surrounded by the people he loves, and yet looking into the battle of what lies ahead. After Jesus prays for himself, he then next prays for his disciples. And he says this, verse 2, For you have given him authority over everyone in all the earth. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. So what does Jesus want to give us? I'd like you to see what a blessing this is that he gifts to us that which we are to embrace in our own lives. And right there, it's in verse 2, it says eternal life. So when I was not a Christian, the first ever Bible verse that I heard was, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I'm sure you've seen that in hockey rinks, football games. Um, And if I had to ask you, what is eternal life? How would you explain this to me, this pagan kid that I was? What would you say is eternal life? I kind of thought it was something in the future. Eternal life when you die, in the afterlife, you can live forever. Yet, what does the scripture say is eternal life? It isn't about quantity of time, but about quality of life. Having the presence of the divine, the presence of God now. Look at verse 3. Here's our answer. To know God. To know God right here and now, and then one day to fully and completely know him. And conversely, not to have eternal life is to be ignorant of God, to be spiritually blind and cut off, and to not know him forever. That's very difficult. 
And what is the meaning of to know in this context? It carries the meaning of intimate love, to know at the most connected level, like in marriage. All humans want to know and to be known. And because there's so many counterfeits in our world, we might even do damaging or harmful things to ourselves in order to be known or to know. It's even possible to wreck not only ourselves, but others in the pursuit of wanting to be known. The opposite is true with God. He came to make us more whole, to be truly ourselves, and to be loved. Tim Keller said something like this, To be fully known and truly loved is to know divine love. It fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. So to know and love God is a quality of existence that nothing else in this world can match. And it is life-giving, not life-taking. And right now, we only know God in part. One day, we will know him in full. We'll know him completely and perfectly. 1 Corinthians 15. And so eternal life is quality of existence, not quantity of time. Jesus only lived till he was 33. That's what blessing is to know God and to be known by him. That is eternal life. That's a blessing. Now the second blessing in knowing God, which is by knowing scripture, we can know this other identity marker about ourselves. When you look at this next verse, seven times in this prayer, Jesus says that the Father gave us to Jesus, that we are gifts from the Father to the Son. Verse 6, they were in the world, but then you gave them to me. Actually, they were always yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Verse 6. I don't know if it's on the screen. We're still in the um, first 11 or uh, passages, uh, verses. So that was verse 6. But if you look at verse 7, 9, 10, and 11, you'll see words such as gift, gave, given, lots of gifting. You see, all believers have been given to Christ from the Father. And we know the Father cannot give bad gifts or cheap gifts. He can only give the very best. And so how much more beautiful he gives his gift to his own divine son, which makes us very valuable. I wonder if you've internalized this, identified with this, that God gave you to Christ. You're not your own. You are chosen to belong to Christ, to be his bride, special, and set apart to journey with him. And Galatians 1 says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In our culture, people identify in a variety of ways, using their social status, the color of their skin, our sex, our preferences, but these are temporary, surface-oriented. Our truest identity is with Christ, eternally as his gift, as his bride, as being entrusted to him. Now for the third blessing, or what we can embrace in our lives. 
This is the second PowerPoint. Uh, we're going to look at um, the next verses. And in verse 21, Jesus says, My prayer for all of them is that they will be one, just as you and I are one, Father. That just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us, and the world will believe that you sent me. This is Jesus' dying request to his Father. For us to be joined into the oneness and the divine relationships of the Trinity. Oneness has to do with the Trinity, and it also means being one in vision and united in the priorities of God, to cooperate and participate in the mission and in the delight of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is no closer relationship than that of marriage. And so we have these words, being one, being united, and knowing. That's the language of marriage. We're being called to be deeply joined to Christ in our day-to-day life. And by being one with him, the way that the Father and Son are one, we are connected, energized, and purposeful. And it means that we're also connected to one another, to his friends, to this fellowship, to his people. And God's power in us will purify our character and change us from one degree of glory to another. We are destined for glory. What an internal, incorruptible blessing this is. So these are some of the requests that Jesus makes to the Father in prayer. And so now it's our turn for a moment to take time to pray. We're going to take the next four minutes to reflect and pray over the blessings in our lives, especially in light of what we've heard. And using Pastor John's word, these blessings are things we wish to embrace. And I would suggest that before you go right into counting your blessings, perhaps first listen to your life. Reflect on what's been happening in your life. What experiences have you had recently? Are there any connections that God would like you to notice? Any patterns, coincidences that you're being nudged to pay attention to? And then you can journal or articulate silently to God. And please don't think about the challenges or the battles in your life yet. That's going to come later. I'll give you that in the second quiet time. But in this first quiet time, let's uh, begin with four minutes of prayer time, of journaling. If you need sheets, I think Gareth has it. There are pens at the back. And... um, Uh, When there's only one minute left, I will let you know so that you can prepare. Okay? So let's just reflect on the blessings. I'm going to continue. I'm going to go into part two, which is moving to the theme of battles or arenas in our lives requiring resistance. In the next slide, we see in Scripture, verses 14 to 17, and I'll just read it. I have given to them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world and do not belong to the world. Just as I am not of the world and do not belong to it, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them and protect them from the evil one. 
They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart for your purposes. Make them holy. Your word is truth. We often face battles in this life, in part because we live in a fallen and broken world. Bad things happen, and it's the Christians especially who should not be surprised by it. We face health problems, financial stresses, works uncertainties, relational heartaches. And in this world, there are evil people, well-intentioned people who are wrong, and difficult people. And every human, whether Christian or non-Christian, faces this. But as believers, there's also another layer. Verse 14 says, um, just in one verse, in that verse, the the word world comes up four times. The world has hated them because they are not of the world and do not belong to the world, just as I am not of the world and do not belong to it. So let's clarify, what is world according to the New Testament? The world means humans and spiritual powers that are organized in a way that it is anti-God in this direction, hostile to him and to his values. It's not about nature. It's not about this beautiful planet that we live in. It's about those who oppose God, who are under the deception of the evil one. In our next slide, Ephesians 2.2 says this, in which you, that's you and I, we used to live when we followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit, that's Satan, who is now at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Therefore, once we have been called out of the world, we no longer fit into this world's orientation and goals. We're no longer under the spell of the evil one. And Jesus tells us bluntly that we no longer belong to this world. We don't follow everything that the world champions. So I just came across by accident this week of something that uh, Father Mike said. And I thought, well, since I'm doing this sermon, I'm going to play it. I'm going to show it to you. He's talking about the movie The Little Mermaid. Something sweet, Disney, lovely. Well, let's hear what he says. I feel like he's on fast forward, double time or something. That was yeah, at least half time, double. Um, so, so in case you didn't catch everything, he was talking about the premise of The Little Mermaid, which I've never seen. But that um, basically the, the mermaid just does whatever she wants, um, including just wrecking the whole ecosystem and and so evil starts to take over and her dad turns into this tiny little shrimp and um, terrible things start to happen. But the kick of it is that at the end of the story, it's all like good on you, way to go, you just did what you wanted even though you destroyed everything around you and uh, there are no consequences, no repercussions. And uh, he says that's just contrary to the gospel because the gospel speaks about how we do reap what we sow and that our actions have consequences, Um, that freedom is not license, that freedom comes with joy-filled responsibility. And so it's helping our children 
to have some critical thinking, to watch this, to talk about it afterwards, uh, rather than to just absorb it, absorb beliefs that contradict God's word, to actually think it through and talk about it. Because in Ephesians 2, this is the message version, it says this, You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. And so we are all in this world with all of its bumps, its bruises, all of its tests, and all of its troubles. But we are in this world to be his and to bring him glory and illumination. And in turn, as we feed on him, we can bless and build others up. And Jesus redeems us and puts us in this world for a reason. And not only that, we are in this world. Because God can use this world in preparing us for heaven. How else can we be refined, tested, formed to become more like him? So being in this world, we're not surprised by the attacks against God's teaching or about him or attacks about, uh, against others. And we can fight against evil to bring good. And as we do this, Jesus' heavenly ministry of praying for us before the throne of God is happening. He's praying for us as we speak. Just another quick example of a battle. Perhaps you can think of your own battles. Um, the, um, in our personal lives, Andrew and I have been involved in anti-trafficking for years. Um, I was glad that the Sound of Freedom was playing in the public theaters because it tells the culture that child trafficking is worth paying attention to, and it must end. It's not okay. And it seems unbelievable that child trafficking is the fastest growing crime network in all the world. How could such horrendous evil coexist in the same world that we live our happy lives? Jesus tells us that in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. And God has called many of his own people into battle over this. It takes more than just mere human power to do this, to fight child trafficking. It takes supernatural protection to cope and engage. And so Jesus sends us out, and he gives us the power to bring healing into whatever sphere that he has called you to, whatever arena you find yourself in. You are specifically where you are for a reason. And so lastly, I want to close with this passage, our next PowerPoint slide. Verse 17, it says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is true. And that's what I want to end with. This is such an encouragement. This empowers us when we face battles, that we can know and live the truth and be close with our Lord, because knowing God is knowing truth. And the truth sets us free. Truth is liberating. We are fully known. We don't live distorted, disillusioned lives. And what a blessing this is. And we are given freedom, not for self-worship, but freedom to worship him 
to serve him and to care for others. And what does the word sanctifying mean? Jesus says sanctify them. Many of you know it means to be set apart. In what ways are we set apart? We're set apart to live out the truth of God in this broken world. God's word is truth. It's not possible for God to lie. He's not capable of dishonesty. Romans 3 says this, message version. God keeps his word even when the whole world is lying through its teeth. And so the opposite of God is deception. The arch enemy of God is the father of lies. We're called to resist lies and embrace the whole truth. To resist partial truth and twisting of truth and to embrace reality. I'm not saying that because we're in this church. Um, This is how the battle works. How do we fight? Through feeding on God's word. Inwardly digesting his word. For man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When we don't drift, but remain in his word, when we don't become complacent, but listen for his voice, we will be blessed. Rather than being controlling or standing above God, we can rest in him and keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And we have to fight for this, this battle of the mind and of the heart. The world is not just outside of us, but it's also inside. It is Satan, the demons, the world, and our sin nature as fallen individuals. I'd like us now to take time to journal, to be in quiet prayer, to practice prayer by journaling the challenges, the battles, and the things to resist. Again, first start with listening to your life. Reflect on what's been going on in your life and any connections that God would want you to notice. Any patterns, coincidences that you're being nudged to pay attention to. And so, four minutes of your own practice of prayer. You can use the sheet of paper at the back. The back page has the battles. And I'll bring our group back in four minutes. And truth. And just in summary, this passage has shown us that Jesus prays for glory so that his Father gets the glory back. That eternal life is quality of existence, not merely quantity of time. And of course, eternal life means that in the hereafters, we do continue to live with him, alive, fully alive, and in our true selves. This passage also showed us that we are gifts from the Father to the Son, and that we are connected and united. We have oneness with the Trinity, that we are joined into the dance of the Holy Trinity in relationship and in joy. And in that oneness with him, we have oneness with one another to his bride, the church. And that we are in the world for a reason. That we are blessing God as we live in this world. We are being shaped by this world. Just as the world needs us, we need the world. 
So let's close with prayer. Our dear Lord Jesus, thank you for the radiant truth and grace that you are full of and that you have come to make your home in our hearts. We worship you alone. We yield our hearts and ask for the mind of Christ to be joined to you, to have eternal life now and in the age to come, forever and ever. In you, we find the very work of God in our lives. Thank you that there is power in the very words of God to sanctify us and to make us holy. Keep us in the world and keep us from conforming to the world, despite all its pressures. Show us what we can embrace, your blessings, your life-giving word, and your transforming promises. Show us what we need to resist, what we need to battle in order to grow closer and stronger, to be more like you, to be your glory in the world. We thank you for your presence in your word and for your presence in us as we engage this life. Make us gifts, we pray. We ask in the name of Christ our Lord and for the glory of our Father in heaven. Amen.